Welcome to Alley and Pacero. This is Alan Alley, joined by Nick and James. Hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. We're live on Facebook today. Nick and James have a podcast called Rational Republican. They've been kind enough to join me here today. Jimmy is in his bunker somewhere. <laughs> We're in a different bunker. This is the, the show that sort of moves around from place to place. We, again, slow week. Nothing to nothing, talk about. Nothing <laughs> happened. No, there wasn't a debate or the Democrats didn't walk out in the Senate at right. the federal level, which emulates what the Republicans did here. We can talk about that. We should talk about COVID. And it seems to me that, that COVID has sort of swamped the airwaves as we end up wrapping up this election cycle. Um, I want to talk about James Ball. Oh, and 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 what you're doing, you you got some really nice write-ups, and I think it's a real interesting indicator of the future of the Republican Party here in Oregon, and and sort of how Republicans position themselves and and how we're perceived. But what I'd like to start out with was the debate, or from my standpoint, kind of the undebate. It it really <laughs> the canned talking points. Yeah. Lobbed back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't, I, I didn't get much out of it, I guess. It, it was my reaction. Well, and I feel like it's interesting because after the first debate, the, you know, we need to have mute buttons. We need to be able to get them to stop talking. And while I think that's certainly advantageous for uh, Donald Trump in a sense that it makes him less likely to start tripping over himself and look like a, I, you know, I don't know what mobster or whatever, it does eliminate that ability to have you know, hey, no, you didn't actually say that. Right. I know what you said. Or I know what you reported or whatever. And actually kind of press the issue on some of the things. And it does make it devolve more into, uh, we just, we've got our canned talking points. Well, I think it was also, um, kind of, uh, gosh, why do I keep losing my train of thought? Um, it, I think there's a little bit of confusion among them of when things were muted and when things were not because it was only muted during the two minute initial statement and mm -hmm. then it was unmuted. But it kind of, they, they acted like they were waiting for someone to give them a cue of, okay, now you can talk. And so I, I wonder if like it wasn't, I don't know, I, you change the format and you've got the, these, these guys are both super busy. I'm sure a staffer briefed them on it 10 minutes beforehand of like, there's going to be a mute button and you, you don't want to be the guy who is talking into a muted microphone on national TV. <laughs> so we also I, have mute buttons here I, on the episode. I wonder if it was just, they were just overly cautious because they didn't quite understand, um, or weren't comfortable with the format. Yeah, it was kind of like they both had shock collars on or something. Right. <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, no, it, it, so I didn't get anything out of it, right? I mean, there was no... I will say they both seemed a little bit more presidential and less just mudslingy, which I appreciated because I mean, this is one of my huge problems with Donald Trump is that I want a president who acts presidential, who can lead the country. Cause I've said this a zillion times, but the country and your, any organization takes on the character of their leader. And if your leader is a mudslinging throat, fist throwing person, that is going to be the and just look at the Republican Party and how we've morphed over the last four years. We have become a much more antagonistic party, and I believe because of Donald Trump and because of his demeanor. And so seeing both of them in a less mudslingy mode really made me feel better about the future of the country. 
Well, and I, so, uh, yesterday my wife and I watched the Comey rule, the two hour and a half long little mini movies on Showtime. And it's, it's of course fictionalized and it's of course derivative from the James Comey book, Higher Loyalty. So of, of course it paints him in a wonderful light and everybody else in a less wonderful light. <laughs> but the, the fictionalized version of Donald Trump in the movie, it, it's at least close enough to where it rings true. And in that, He's, he will contradict himself in the same sentence. He will be abrasive and guttural. And, but you have scenes with Don McGahn. You have scenes with Jared Kushner. You have scenes with, uh, you know, senior White House staffers who all sort of adopt that attitude, who all sort of adopt the, like, well, you know, maybe this was illegal or maybe this was unconstitutional, but have you seen how he redesigned the Oval Office? It looks so great in there. And I mean, to your point, you take on the characteristics of leadership. And when your leadership is, self-aggrandizing and insulting and not presidential, for lack of a better term, this is what you get. Yeah, one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had was we had a CEO, and I reported to the CEO, who was behaving inappropriately with women. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the sort of super overt things. It was the more subtle things. The, the kind of snide references or, you know, the looks or the, it, it wasn't, it wasn't physical grabbing or anything like that. And I actually went in and sat down with him and said, you just can't do this stuff. You know, here's some examples of what you've done and you can't do it because your behavior sets the watermark for the behavior in the company. Yep. And if that's your behavior, then everybody else is acceptable behavior to do exactly what you do. And you're absolutely right. That's, that's what happens in leadership positions. Um, so when you look at, you know, I was a big fan of Mitt Romney's and, uh, Mitt Romney is the guy that I'd want to work for. Mm -hmm. And do I agree with him on everything? No. Do I agree with every vote he's taken? No. But do I believe Mitt Romney's a guy that would that would uh, lead with integrity and somebody that you could, and you can sit down with him and have these kinds of conversations with him. And he'd be open to having those kinds of conversations. Um, it was really, really refreshing. Um, Jeb Bush is another guy that falls into that category. For me. I know. And I've said a couple of times when I decided to get more involved in politics was immediately after the 2016 primary and having <clears throat> all those great candidates. And we picked Trump to lead the party. Well, I'll, I'll give you the flip side to it. And, and we've said this on our radio program over and over and over again. Trump was picked to blow things up. Yep. He was a terrorist and, and his whole demeanor and his whole ability to just kind of blow things up, tear things down without any kind of remorse, without, without thinking about it is exactly why he got elected. And, would Mitt Romney have done all the things that Donald Trump did? Would Mitt Romney have stood up to China? Hmm. Probably not. Right? Yeah. I will say Mitt Romney in that, in that second debate though was the one who said Russia will be a massive <laughs> problem. And I got <laughs> laughed out of the room by the president, by Barack Obama, totally. or by Candy Crowley. And, and I, I, <laughs> I will very much agree that with your point that I think he had the, the mindset Maybe not the I'm a New York real estate guy type of <laughs> yeah. in your face, take no guff attitude that Donald Trump has. But I'll be curious to see kind of going forward because I think a lot of people are 
you know, they rolled the dice in 2016, and I don't know if they're going to be willing to do it again. That's the end of our first segment. We'll be back. I think we'll continue this conversation. This is Ali and Pissero with Nick and James. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Alley and Pissero. This is Alan Alley with Nick Perlosky and James Ball. We're talking about the election and Nick asked the $64,000 question at the end of our last segment. I don't even know if he realizes that he did it <laughs> is that will people pull the lever twice for Donald Trump? You know, it have, and it's, it's fascinating when I look at this because Certainly, there's a core group that are going to vote for him last time, going to vote for him this time. Mm -hmm. There's a group that are in the righteous indignation category, and I don't know if they voted for him last time or if they'd ever vote for him. You know, they're the ones that somebody mentioned, I I was reading today, uh, oh, it was Saturday Night Live, where they made fun of people that have defined their personalities by hating Donald Trump. <laughs> and That's funny. I, no, right? I see yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Uh, what are they going to do when he's gone? Right? Yeah. And, and then there's this group in the middle and I, I get conflicting reports on people that have said, you know what? I don't like the guy. I didn't vote for him last time, but we need to continue this. And then there's a bunch that have said, I voted for him last time. I can't do it, can't do it again. again. And I, uh, your observations of your peers would be really interesting. Well, I live in downtown Portland, and so my peers are in the, the that other group that <laughs> defines themselves by hating on Donald Trump. Um, but I think the question to ask is why people were voting for him or why people did not vote for him. I think you you had a good point that he was elected to be a terrorist. And different Netflix special that I watched. Uh, <laughs> All we do is watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's COVID, man. What else is there? What else <laughs> Right. Um, but it was, it was the great hack or something like that. And they talked about Cambridge Analytica and, and, mm. you know, the oh. Brexit and yeah. the Trump administration. And basically what they talked about is there were about 70,000 people who determined the 2016 election. Mm. And they were the middle of the road, undecided voters in three swing states. And so, you know, 330 million people decided by 70,000. And so that's how they were able to like micro target those 70,000 people and how Trump was able to swing the election. And so it's like, what is the mindset of those 70,000 people? Mostly, I think it was like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And Michigan. Mm -hmm. So you've got these Rust Belt, probably blue collar people who have voted Democrat their entire lives and their world's fallen apart. You know, and they see the left just talking about, you know, racial justice. And, you know, if you're white, you have all this privilege. And if you're not white, you need to be, you know, held up. But these people are struggling and they're, you know, they're, they're nice blue collared, uh, working, living wage jobs are going away. Right. And they're like, well, it can't get much worse. Let's go vote for the terrorist. 
And I, as a Pennsylvanian, though I know I'm not the only one at the table and a former Michigander, I, I remember what it's like living in those places. And I, you're yeah. exactly right. It's, it, we see blue collar jobs in Pittsburgh. It was steel, uh, going overseas, being shipped away. And we say, okay, we'll, we're going to have job training. We're going to have new things come up. Facebook has moved to Pittsburgh. Uber, Google have moved to Pittsburgh. That's great. I, you know, I've got, I've that, got an uncle who's 52 years old. Is what is he going to learn to do? You know, code IoT stuff for right. Uber so that they can have their self-driving cars. <laughs> every, like that's that's right. not what he wants. That's not what anybody wants. And Donald Trump somehow the billionaire became the guy, the blue class, the guy, the working man. So here's the other thing that I think Donald Trump did. He has fundamentally shifted the focus of the Republican Party from you know the rich country club crowd to exactly those people. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats have abandoned those people. The Democrats have come up with all these social programs and all these things about giving money away and giving things away. And if I'm a working class person, oh, and by the way, free college tuition and paying off college loans. I didn't go to college, right? So I'm going to pay your tuition. Yep. And I'm, I'm working on the line at, at Ford or, or Boeing or, or whatever. It, it absolutely doesn't ring true to those guys. So Donald Trump has firmly taken that ground. And, you know, I see my Democratic friends online talking about this. I don't think they understand that there's this fundamental shift. First generation minorities that are entrepreneurs and starting small businesses. You're a small business guy. Yep. Those people are not aligning with the Demo the new Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. They don't align with tearing down statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. They don't align with Antifa in downtown Portland. They they don't like necessarily some of the personality traits that Donald Trump has, but they love the fact that there's somebody that says, I'm going to stand up for you. So the question I think then is, do those people then vote for him a second time? You know, I think the economy was doing great. Manufacturing was kind of starting to come back, but not really, not what they talked about. And then COVID hit and everything kind of fell apart. So fun stat, low income uh, wage growth was increasing by 5%. People love to complain. It's like, oh, you have all these policies that are so good. Well, the rich are getting richer, but it doesn't help, you know, Joe Everyman or whatever. Low wage wage growth was going by 5% and the pre-COVID term of the Trump administration. And that's that's a real – if you're making $20,000, $30,000 a year and you're getting 5% of a raise, that's massive. Yeah. You know, you, you bring up COVID and it all kind of wraps in. Can you imagine <laughs> without COVID, what would the Democrats be talking about right now? And, and the fact that Trump is even close with COVID and – 200,000 Americans dead and we're all sitting in bunkers everywhere we go and we're all wearing masks and we're all hunkered down and our jobs have been fundamentally changed. The arc of careers has been fundamentally altered, yet it's it's even a reasonably close election. It, it's yeah. And I don't think the Democrats fundamentally understand it. The last time I said... To my friends that were all upset that Donald Trump got elected, I said, look, we nominated him. You elected him, right? Yep. It was disenfranchised Democrats in the states that you talked about that elected him. And then the question is, 
What fundamental policies have you changed to attract those voters back to your party? They haven't. They've doubled down on political correctness and and wokeness, wokeness. Yeah. And that isn't going to appeal to the guys that I worked with when I was at Ford, that I worked with when I was at Boeing, that are, they're, they're Democrats by association with a union. That was, mm-hmm. that was fundamentally how they became Democrats. So I, the thing that I think is interesting is Republicans have a, a unifying philosophy. We're limited taxes, limited government, freedom, individualism. The Democrats don't have that as much. What they have is a coalition of groups. We have, minorities we have women we have low-income workers we have immigrants we have unions and they have to thread the needle i honestly don't envy this job but you have to thread the needle to to try to keep all of those groups as happy as you can oftentimes even when something will be at odds with one another if you do something that makes immigrants happy you're probably doing (laughs) something that hurts the unions and so how do you kind of convince them that they're going to be both better off than if they defect and vote republican We've got to take a break. We'll come back in a minute. This is Alan Alley on Alley and Pacero with Nick and James. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. You're listening to Ali and Pacero without Pacero, but I have Nick and James with me. And we're going to turn to ACB, Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. I have trouble saying that. She's just going to, it's ACB. It's, 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 it's going to be ACB. Or to ACB. a friend of ours, it's ABC. ABC. <laughs> um she, it looks like she's going to get confirmed. I guess there's a vote today, the procedural vote to break the filibuster and then, uh, confirming her on Monday. It looks like the, uh, is it Susan Collin? No, Alaska Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski. Flipped from, mm, I don't know, to yes, I'm going to vote. She is a yay vote. I'm yeah. going to vote for. Her. And you've got a little bit of wiggle room because it's 50-50 Pence votes. And I think Pence is going to uh, vote for her. But it's been a, a fascinating process. The Democrats walked out of the uh, final hearing where they voted to move it out of committee and move it to the floor to uh, an attempt to deny a quorum. And this is where you get into all the the histrionics and fine print in the rules of the Senate that when I was chairman of the Oregon Republican Party, we went through some of these things. And I remember somebody gave me the rules, the party rules. And it was a little book. And I looked at it, and it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of rules in there. You know, whatever, right? No, they're really important. <laughs> yeah. And and how they're used. So they tried to deny a quorum in the Senate. There was a way to not deny the quorum. They moved it out. But... Uh, Interesting juxtaposition to what happened in Oregon, right? Yeah. When the Republicans did the same thing and the Democrats here, their minds blew up, right? So the funny thing about quorum is that it, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, not, there's no defined number of quorum. So in the 
at the federal level, I, I believe it's 50%. Yep. In the Oregon legislature, it is two thirds. When I sat on the board of my HOA, if we held a vote, it was 20%. If you had oh. 20% of people yeah. show up, you could hold a meeting. So when you talk about quorum, it, it is purely defined by your governing documents. And so this is what I think is interesting about the Oregon walkout is because the Oregon constitution states that you need two thirds of the, of the House and Senate to do business. It allows that minority more power. And so, yeah, the, the Democrats tried to do it, but they were not able to get over that 50% mark, which is what's defined in the U.S. Constitu- know, Constitution or where it's defined. But anyway, the governing documents of the Senate say 50%. So just kind of interesting. Well, and I've, I've always been of the mindset. In fact, when I chaired the party, somebody coached me and said, look, Alan, the way it works is the minority gets to voice their opinion, the majority rules. And as long as you... Keep that in mind when you're running the meeting, when you're administrating this. Always make sure that the minority gets to exhaust their ability to voice their opinion, but the majority will eventually rule. See, and now I feel like that's an interesting thing because that was the whole reason that the Oregon legislature, the Oregon Republican legislators walked out of the state in the first place is it was, it was HB 2020. It was the cap and trade bill. And we all know we sit in very blue Oregon. They have the super majority in both uh, halves of the legislature. They have the governor's office. They can get through whatever bill they want. And it, the the legislators know that. The Republican legislators know that. What they took umbrage with was the fact that they were being shut out of meetings. They were being denied right. the ability to submit their testimony, denied the ability to have informed research on anything, d- denied the ability to have a cost analysis. God forbid we actually look at what this bill is going to cost. And that was the thing that made them flee to Idaho or Nevada or Montana or whatever state they went to. And at the at the federal level, the the Democrat senators had pictures who of people who were being helped by Obamacare instead of showing up to get Amy Coney Barrett voted out of committee. They were all well heard. They all had the chance to get on their soapbox right. to make their points to berate her and treat her like a child, and still they felt compelled to have this showmanship element. And it's just like it's just eye rolly. And to Alan's point from earlier, the Democrats here in Oregon lost their collective minds <laughs> yes. when the Republicans walked out. And so I even put this on my Facebook page. I said, you know, this is exactly the same thing. They were, they were, the Democrats, the Senate Democrats tried to walk out to, in an attempt to deny quorum. They're just not as good at it as the Oregon Republicans. <laughs> so they failed. Would any Democrat who is, was so upset about the Republicans walking out last year or this year, would they care to speak out against the Senate Democrats? Right. Crickets. Right. I mean, my my Facebook page is, I mean, I'm a Republican candidate who posts center-right things, so I don't have a whole lot of Democrats <laughs> following me. But I do have a few, and nothing. No one wanted to say anything. I was about to tag a couple of them and say, hey, you guys want to make a statement about this? What do you think about the Democrats walking out? I'm going to have to do that on my page, because I have quite a few Democrats that, that follow me on my page. The uh, I think, to to your point... The thing that underscores that the Republicans did it the right way was when Feinstein hugged uh, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, right. And you just kind of felt that as they went through the process that Lindsey Graham's like, you know, here you go. (laughs) Go at it. I know what you're going to do, right? And uh, But it's your right to do it. And I'm not, I'm going to play this right down the middle. Right. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to be fair to both sides. You get to ask your dumb question. He didn't even say things like that. Yeah. Right. 
he just he just played it right down the middle. Senator Alley here is going to get thrown out of the Senate for. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I think especially after the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation, which was oh, this yeah. time two years ago, also very inconveniently right in the lead up to an election, but that was such a such a a, a circus. And he had to go through so much for this phenomenally well-qualified jurist who this person is going to be, you know, shaping jurisprudence in this country for 30 or 40 years to go through the, the dirt that he went through. And I, there's people on the left that believe Christine Blasey Ford. There's people on the right that say, no, no way. There's never any proof. None of us is ever really going to know what happened, but the process itself was taken down to such a, a guttural base degree that I think it was so wonderful to see this process that uh, again, you got those Democrats in that they got their, you know, cheap shots and whatever. And the Republicans were talking her up. John Cornyn said, can you sh- show us what's on your notepad? And she held up. It's just blank. Right. She's just doing this all without notes. But it was, it was wonderful to see the process work the way it's supposed to work. Well, and we picked somebody that frankly is hard to attack, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here she is sitting there with her kids in the background, the two adopted African American or, uh, where were they Haitian. from? Haitian children, you know, a perfect record, mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame, you know, it, it, she was, she, she was very, very hard to attack. And so it was, it was sort of like attacking Mother Teresa or something. It's like, okay, I can't, I can't really do that. So I'm going to get her on, on other things, but it was, uh, it was rather hollow. When we get back, we're going to go to a break. We get back. I want to talk about the Supreme Court and why has the Supreme Court become so important and why has it become this partisan battleground? This is Alan Alley, Alley and Pissero with Nick and James. Welcome back to Alley and Pissero with Nick and James. We're talking about ACB and I want to talk about the Supreme Court. So when I was a kid, long, long time ago in a place far away, nobody talked about the Supreme Court, <laughs> right? It just wasn't a thing. It was like, oh, yeah, they they do some, they judge some things, but it just does, it wasn't a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Who the president was was a big deal, who the senators were and congressmen and, you know, the things that they got passed were big deals, Um but the Supreme Court, not so much. And then I feel like Congress abdicated much of their responsibility to the Supreme Court. And let's, you know, take Roe versus Wade, the one that everybody talks about. So in Roe v. Wade, the majority opinion says some will interpret what we're saying as a woman has a right to an abortion at any time for any reason. And then it goes on to say, with that position, we do not agree. And that's in Mm. Roe v. Wade, right? And what Roe v. Wade did was kick it to the states and say, look, we don't agree that you get it for any reason at any time. You figure it out. Hmm. Now, there's been three or four times, I think on both the Republican side and the Democratic side, where you had control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Mm -hmm. They've never clarified it. The Republicans well, don't clarify it and the Democrats don't. Well, I think that it's the, the next one was Casey versus Planned Parenthood was the one that actually states that you, that states are able to put restrictions on abortions, but not like undue restrictions or whatever. And that's the undue one that keeps burden. getting challenged is what constitutes an undue restriction on abortion. Right. 
So I, I think that that sort of supersedes Roe v. Wade, and most of the rules are coming from Casey, not from Roe v. Wade. But the question is, why don't they fix it? Yeah, the, Congress, uh, Congress, and the president have the ability to just make a law. I don't think anyone wants to touch it. It's such a it's such a losing issue no matter what you do. So why not just leave it alone? And I think this is kind of Trump's thing too. I don't think Trump cares about pro-life or pro-choice. I think Trump wants the economy to do well. He wants to get reelected. I mean, he wants he wants his name in the history books. And he is pro-life for the sake of winning over pro-life voters. But other than that, I don't think he cares. And I think that a lot of pragmatic politicians are probably in the same boat where they're like, I like this is a this is such a losing issue. I'm just not going to touch it. I'm going to focus on the things that are that are going to get me reelected, not the things that are going to cause this fight that I don't want to get into. But my point is, that's what you got elected to do. And well, obviously, is, it's something that the citizens want. I'm sorry, Nick, I interrupted you. Well, no, and I, I mean, I, James, I think you're exactly right from a, a strictly politics standpoint, but I, that's, I, I think all three of us can agree that that's not what is right. I think what no. would be right would be for a congressional representative, a United States senator to make the hard decisions. And I think Roe and Casey are phenomenally good examples. I think the Republicans in 2012, I think it was, were so heavily dependent on the Supreme Court to overturn Obamacare. That when John Roberts didn't, he said, look, I'm siding with the liberals. I'm calling this a tax. Barack Obama lied to you. He said he wasn't going to raise your taxes. He is. This is a tax. But this is legal. This passes constitutional muster. And I think that was – it was, I mean, abhorrent for uh, any oppo- opponents of the ACA. But I think what that did was kick it to the American electorate and say, if you want this overturned, elect a Congress, elect a Senate, and elect Mitt Romney. This is what they're all running on. And America didn't do it. The Congress didn't fix right. anything. Obviously, Barack Obama wasn't going to change anything. But I, I very much agree that we have been, we as Americans, not just Republicans, have been dependent on the court for so long in so much different policy and abdicated that from our, our leaders in Congress, the ones to whom we're closest, that it's, you get the point that we're at now where Democrats are looking at packing the court when Donald Trump did his constitutional duty and now they're up in arms. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, an abdication of responsibility. And part of it might be, again, if I go back to when I was a kid, you didn't know how your senator voted or your representative voted. It might have been in the newspaper, but nobody dug down that far. And, and it would be, you know, House Bill 2342 voted nay. or <laughs> It's like whatever, right? So you didn't really know. And um, the media wasn't that sophisticated in picking up on it. There were... You know, there were TV ads, but, you know, you didn't really know. And it was more, they, you know, James seems like a good guy. I like James. Mm -hmm. You know, Nick, not so much, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's an accurate statement, by the way. (laughs) No, but, but that's, that's kind of the way it went. And now everything is amplified and dissected. Every vote that you've taken, you look at the, at the uh, political ads that are up right now, any, word are they'll go back through this podcast yep. and they'll go through this facebook live video and they'll pull out one points yep. words that you said or i've said or nick has said and take those now they have video of it right and and blow it out take it out of context and blow it out and use it against us in the future so my thought on that is if you have so much content and just make those staffers work for it 
you know, <laughs> our, <laughs> yeah. our podcast, we've got 45 episodes now. We're doing this. this once a week for an hour. I mean, some staffer is going to have, oh. you know, weeks of <laughs> listening to me talk yeah. trying to, when I run I for know. something, it's like, make it, make them work for it. Cause you're right. They're going to find something, take it out of context. But if they've got, 7,000 hours of content they have to listen to. I mean, then well, the, those little things get buried. I it's think. the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? Where you, you take the Ark of the Covenant and you put it in a giant warehouse. Yeah. And yep. it's, it's extant, well, but yeah, you're never going to be able to find it. Love that the Purdue guy brings up Indiana Jones. <laughs> hometown <laughs> reference there. <laughs> a, uh, to your point earlier of why did the Supreme Court get... Oh, and I think another thing that made the Supreme Court more powerful is we're kind of in this hyper-partisan environment where if you can, you do. And this happens at the state level. It happens at the federal level. Uh, the, the Democrats in Oregon were able to push through cap and trade, or at least they thought they were. And so they did. And they didn't need to get input from the Republicans. And so they didn't. And I see that in the Supreme Court nominations as well. Republicans didn't have to approve Merrick Garland, so they didn't. And then Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And now they're able to push through a... Supreme Court justice, and so they do. And so you, you take this institution that is supposed to be apolitical, and it becomes politicized because you can. Because why not? Because, you know, I think someone pointed out that when Ginsburg was placed on the Supreme Court, she was, she passed the Senate confirmation like 98 to zero yeah. or 98 to two or something like that. And now it's split along party lines. Why? Cause we can, cause we're in this hyper partisan environment where if you're a Democrat who votes for a Republican or, or for a conservative or you're a Republican who votes for a liberal, you are seen as a traitor. You're seen as an enemy. You're going to get primaried. And again, to my point about people who just try and get reelected and not get into losing fights. I mean, look at the, the Scarlato Stefazio race. I mean, each of these guys oh. is spending three and a half million dollars oh, to go be the, like a one out of 438 members of right. Congress. Like you, <laughs> it, that is an enormous amount of money and energy to win this election. That's going to get you basically, you're going to be a rubber stamp on whatever the vote is. So why would you just throw that away over a, a losing battle? We're up against a break, and I want to pick that up when we come back. This is Allie and Pacero with Nick and James. This is Allie and Pacero with Nick and James, and we're talking about CD4. Alex Scarlatos, let me set this up a little bit. Alex Scarlatos, uh, 28 years old, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, former uh, Oregon National Guardsman, went to Afghanistan, like my friend. We deployed together, Alec and I did. Did you did? Yeah, we oh, were on good. the... This we is going to be good. We are in the same battalion. So uh, he was on a train in France, I think after after his tour. I don't... Was he still active when he did it? Yes. And uh, a guy with an AK-47 is walking down, <laughs> getting ready to, to hose down the whole mm-hmm. train car. And he and a couple of his buddies stopped him. Um running against a guy that's been in office for 33 years, Peter DeFazio, who has done a really good job, I think, in similar to what Kurt Schrader has done, where uh, with Kurt Schrader here in CD5, if you see him, if you hear him talk, he carries himself like a Republican. He looks like a Republican. You know, he's he kind of has that that way about him he's been part of the blue dog republicans very hard to pick off kurt schrader and and i think defazio has done the same thing but now we have alex scarlatos and it's a it's a dog fight 
Yeah, I think the polls are right at fifty fifty. And Nick and I have a five dollar bet. I think I think Alex can take it. Is it ten? Oh, that's right. Ten dollars is ten. It's a ten dollar bet. Oh, really? Alex is going to win. So I am. I'm for the record, Alec. If you're listening, I'm rooting for Alec in that race. I think it would be wonderful to have some new young blood in there, and I think Alec has some really good ideas and has put together a really good campaign and obviously raised a ton of money. I think. 2020 is going to be a very unfortunate year to be running for anything as a Republican, even though the district is the district is basically even Trump lost it by a tenth of a point in 2016. So there's absolutely an opportunity there, just like there. I mean, there is here in CD five where we're sitting right now. There is in CD one. It's like Democrat plus three or four. But Alec has taken his taken his tenure as a national hero, which he is. He stopped an Islamic extremist attack from ending dozens of lives on that train in Paris. He's received medals from Francois Hollande, from Barack Obama, and he's come back home. He's originally from Roseburg and has been able to talk about uh, poor timber policies. When He's been able to talk about how the fires have affected his community, and he's been able to talk about how Peter DeFazio, who lives on a yacht, which is the claim in the commercial, that's not 100% true. It's like a, it's like a little slip or something. Like it's definitely not a yacht. It's a 32-foot cabin cruiser. Yeah. But he's he's really been able to make a great race out of that, and I think win or lose, he's going to be the nominee in 2022, and I think he's going to win for sure that time. Hmm. Yeah, I... You know, I really like him. I, I mean, I think, I don't think it was you that posted this, but somebody posted, um, that the Democrats were blowing up. He's only 28 years old. He has no experience. And they just said, well, what about AOC? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was someone posted that. I saw yeah. That. And, and it's absolutely true. And if you think about what representatives do, largely they vote. Right. It's a vote and mm-hmm. it's, it's a vote on this side or it's a vote on this side or it's a vote that somebody swings mm-hmm. in the middle. But that's basically what they do. And even a guy like Schrader, um, who's a blue dog Democrat, I think he voted with the Democrats like 86% of the time or 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. The, the ones that swing only swing a little tiny <laughs> bit, but I think he'd be a great representative um i think the the race that he's run is exactly the race that he needs to run yep the second thing is oregon has a history of ballot splitting in presidential elections many many times um you know i'll go back to when i ran for treasurers i dramatically outperformed mccain um when you look at uh, the last election when Dennis Richardson won, mm-hmm. dramatically outperforming Trump. And it's not by like one or two percent. It's seven, eight, nine, ten percent or more. So after they, you know, you sort of lower your blood pressure. If I'm a, a Democrat in, in uh, CD4, um, after I lower my blood pressure at, at Trump, do I get to Alex Scarlatos and go, you know, younger, fresh blood representing me? I'm not, no. I'm not a Portland Democrat. There's some that are Portland Democrats, but there's a lot of Democrats in that part of the woods that are not Portland Democrats. They're the, they're the Pittsburgh Democrats. Yeah, exactly. Right? Blue collar. I just want to work, you know, shot in a beer kind of person. Right. So, but your handicapping on it is Alex can pull it out and yours is no that is correct 
I, I think it's going to be a great race. And I think Alec has put a lot of stuff out there that really truly needs to be said, especially for that district. And I think he's a great fit for it. I just think the Democrats here in Oregon and nationally are, I think the 2016 election was lost, not because Donald Trump is a brilliant campaigner, but because turnout was so depressed at so many levels because Hillary Clinton was a lousy candidate who was not well liked that Donald Trump was able to eke it out. That's that 70,000 votes. And in the election environment that we're in right now, we've already, we're projected to have 15 or 20 million more votes cast this year than in 2016. And I think we'll see on election day, but I think that helps the Democrats. Oh, this is the point I was going to try to make earlier is the Democrats don't need to reach out to those 70,000 people. All they need is the fringe to turn out. So, I mean, 70,000 people, if you can get the extreme left who didn't like Hillary, who, who the Bernie bros, the, the democratic socialists of America, if they come out and vote uh, against Trump, you don't need to reach out to the blue collar Democrats. All you need to do is just boost your turnout. Well, that's running statewide here in Oregon. The, the calculation for a Republican is 90, 60, 15. You have to win 90% of the Republicans. You have to win 60% of the independents and non-affiliateds, and then you have to win 15% of the Democrats. For a Democrat to win in Oregon, they need 90% of the Democrats, half of the independents and non-affiliateds, just half, and they need zero Republican votes. So they can be highly partisan. I I did that same uh, calculus for my district. Oh, yeah. I need 100% of Republicans. There you go. 100% of non-affiliateds. And twenty percent of Democrats to win my race. That's a stretch. <laughs> it's it's a it's a tough hill to climb for That's sure. That's probably a stretch. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh if you get nineteen percent of Democrats and you lose like fifty one to forty. Right. It's like we were be, so yeah. close. <laughs> but it's like I need every Republican, I need every non affiliated, and I need a very good percentage of Democrats to vote. You for know, me let's in that let's turn to that when we get back from break. This is Ali and Pacero with Nick and James. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero. Alan Alley with Nick and James. James, who's running for office in House District 36. Correct. The old Jim Pacero district. Right? Yes. Yes, the old Jim Pacero. The, old Jim Pacero, the bluest Pacero. district in Oregon. Not the most. So oh, it is? I think, I think the bluest district is actually Tina Kotek's no, district Tina in Kotex North probably. Portland. Oh. Uh, so I am probably, I think my district is third or fourth bluest but that's easy you got (laughs) so let's let's talk about that race because i think it 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 matters for the future of the republican party here in oregon not not that race in the outcome but sort of how you're positioning yourself and what people are saying about you so the willamette week said that they endorsed lisa reynolds but then they start out by saying Let's start by applauding James Ball. 
the Republican nominee in this district for running. Ball, 35, Army veteran, former financial analyst in Intel, owns garage door company, moderate, calm, rational. Rational. They picked up on they, your rash, They did. Right? Shameless plug there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. It says really, really nice things about you. Uh, Portland Monthly picked up your podcast and said... The hosts, young creators, James Bald, Nick Perlosky, both active Republican Party, not fans of QAnon narrative, it, that they're, they're embracing this. Oh, there are rational Republicans, right? <laughs> we do exist. Exactly yeah. what you, what you coined. The question is, um, what I've said about many of our statewide candidates that we do a good job of making Democrats feel good about not voting for us. So we moderate our positions and, and we become sort of nice enough mm-hmm. where the Democrats go, yeah, if, if James was selected, that wouldn't be horrible, right? He'd be okay. I could, and then we'd take him out in the next election, right? right. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to vote. They, it, you know, I, with Bueller, it was, uh, you know, my downtown Portland Democratic technology friends. It's like, I, I kind of like Alan. Do you know Newt Bueller? Yeah, I do. He's yeah. a really good guy. He's a Rhodes Scholar, isn't he? Yeah, he's a Rhodes he Scholar. Is. He's a doctor. Yeah, he's a doctor. He's really smart. Yeah. He voted to to have uh, contraception available over oh, the, the counter. counter birth control. Yes, yeah. he he did. Yeah, he see, I, I really am good. Are you going to vote for him? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to vote for him. What, have you lost your mind? He's a Republican. I'm not going to vote for him. But I wouldn't mind if he was governor. <laughs> I, yeah, right. I, I guess it would be better than some of some of the other Republican. Right. But I, so this is the interesting, and obviously James, who's an actual candidate, can speak a little bit more to this. But this is the interesting thing is we, we've gotten some write-ups like that where people are very like, well, my word, they're, they're young and they're courteous and they're engaging <laughs> and they're rational. I, you know, it's almost, I, I, we couldn't have paid them to like right. to use that word in there, but they did. And, the thing about it is, I, I was talking to my wife yesterday. The thing about it is, we are still partisans. Yeah. We are still Republicans. We are still conservatives. We are still for individualism and lower taxes and responsible government spending. But if we cloak that in this veneer of they're, you know, they're not bashing on gays. They're not demeaning to women. They're, they're doing all these wonderful things. They have Democrats on their show and they converse genially. And all of a sudden we get, we get to get our talking points out there. And I, we've had several episodes of the podcast where we just, unabashedly dunk on the Democratic Party of Oregon's <laughs> platform because of how it's so far left. And it's like, oh, my God, what do you people do? From a syntax standpoint, this doesn't even make sense. <laughs> ours ours isn't much better. So well, I know. And we've also had an episode where we rip on ours on the, on the Republican platform. But, I mean, and I feel like I'm sure for you as a candidate, people have come up to you and just been like, yeah, I don't want to vote for Republican. But, you know, young business owner, served his country, whatever. Like, you seem like a good guy. Well, we'll see on November 4th. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing running for this position is the last Republican who ran for this district got 17% of the vote. And they there hasn't been a Republican even on the ballot since 2012. So we will see if coming out as a never Trumper, getting some of these accolades from you know, left-leaning uh, publications. And we'll see if that translates into votes or if it's just going to be what Alan's talking about. If it's, oh, nice guy, I like him, but then they're not actually going to vote. Um, obviously, I'm hoping that we can translate that into votes because then it can potentially change the direction of the party. Of like, hey, you know, the narrative within the ORP has been like, 
Newt Bueller didn't win because he was too much of a moderate. You know, if we put up a solid conservative, then we can actually like pull the conservatives together and we can win statewide, which I don't have any data to back that up, but that is completely wrong. <laughs> you, we need Democrats, like to, Alan, like what you're talking about. We need Democrats to vote for yeah. us. And if you send somebody, uh, you know, just hyper partisan conservative, they're going to get annihilated in the general election. So well, we'll, we'll see if this translates into votes or if they're just going to say nice things and, and, uh, I get 12% of the vote. So no, you, you definitely won't. And, but you're, you're absolutely right. When I would go out and talk around the state about 90, 60, 15, people just, it, it was too horrible to acknowledge, right? Yeah. That, that we need 15% of the Democrats and they need zero Republicans. So they can pass something like cap and trade. They can raise your taxes to whatever they want to raise them to. They can be highly, highly partisan, not only in how they campaign, but how they govern to lock down the 90% of the Democrats. And they don't even need to win the independents. Yeah. They don't even need to get one more vote more than 50%. And they need no Republicans. And that is a very, very odd situation. It's actually more similar to some place like Illinois or Michigan. And Illinois and Michigan and, and Massachusetts have all had, uh, Republican governors recently. Uh, they don't tend to have them time after time after time, but it's, it's like it finally gets to the point where they go, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, it's messed up enough. Let's have somebody take a different look at it so i posted a video and uh privately i shared it with you guys in, in our little private group but the a person in my district uh pretty right-wing conservative oh yeah uh, you wrote, don't wrote need a, to do that privately you need to <laughs> push that publicly you need to push that out, out. Uh, i'm not sure if i want to get give him the airtime but anyway it was it was so basically his comment that I, that kind of stuck to me was i will vote for james ahead of any Democrat, but any Republican, I will vote ahead of, ahead of James. So basically he would never vote for me in a primary, but he'll vote for me in the general because I'm, I'm not a Democrat. And that is the exact type of mentality that makes us lose elections in Oregon because it's exactly your point. Like he want, he wanted to fight. He wanted to push back against the Democrats and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, we need to push back against Tina Kotek. We needed to push back against Nancy Pelosi, but the Democratic electorate, we need them to vote for us. We don't, we cannot be antagonistic against Democratic voters and then expect them to vote for us because we need them. We need them. So I like, we cannot be an antagonistic party. Maybe that works for Donald Trump in national elections because he can just rally his base and get 50% plus one. But in Oregon, that is so, this is a majority Democrat state. It doesn't work. We'll come back and talk more about that. This is Allie and Pacero with Nick and James. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. 
Welcome back to Allie and Passero. I'm here today with my friend Nick and James. We're talking about all things pol- political in Oregon. Earlier this week, a article was published that I wrote um, about the PERS liability. And it's important for, I think, a couple of reasons. One, the group that published it, the Oregon Way, is a group of, I'd say, moderate Democrats, um, Nick, the uh, the gentleman that runs it, was the former communications director for uh, Governor Brown, and there's a there's a lot of other moderate Democrats that contribute to this, and some not so moderate Democrats, like I think Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley, have also mm-hmm. contributed to it. You're in good company. <clears throat> the interesting thing was they wanted me to write this article, and I I said, look, I'll write it, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to, you know, give you editorial control, although they did help me sort of craft it. Um, and uh, what it talks about is the public employment retirement system liability. And then we have the public employment retirement system assets, how much money we've saved. And then you combine that liability with the assets to come up with solutions. I'm working on the assets side of it. And the one thing that you'll see as you as you read through this and you can go to the Oregon way and search for Alan Alley is the cash that we're going to outlay over the next 30 years for existing for retirees and people that are currently employed is about 238 billion dollars now that's a number that you've probably never heard before uh i can understand why you wouldn't hear it because it's a horribly large number. Um, but that is the total cash outlay that we're, that we're going to pay over the next 30 years. And that does not include any new hires. That's just the people that are currently either retired or employed. Now, if you think about it, it's about 350,000 people in the state. And then, if you realize that they're all parts of families, husbands, wives, children, moms, dads, 350,000 turns into about a million pretty quickly Mm -hmm. that are directly influenced, that have a direct economic benefit from PERS, and it takes about a million votes to win statewide. So, so you start to kind of see how all of this is connected, but, um, one of the things, guys, I would imagine as you're out there talking to people, this doesn't even come up. No. PERS doesn't come up at all, does it? It's just so easy to kick the can down the road. It's such a complicated concept that I think anybody who has heard of it isn't really interested in learning about it or learning what the problem is. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's a thing th- that people care about. Well, And I think you just hit the nail on the head is it's it's so complicated. I think it's very easy. I think a lot of people in this country don't understand jurisprudence at the level that a Supreme Court nominee needs to. I don't think a lot of people understand social security at the level that a a national actuary would need to. But you can dumb those things down and say, I'm pro Amy Coney Barrett or I'm anti Amy Amy Coney Barrett. I think the Republicans Mm -hmm. are being unfair. I think this is so, it's such a massive problem and it's so difficult to uh, for lack of a better term, to dumb it down and to make it seem sexy and to try right. to win votes off of it, that nobody's found a good way to do that yet. And I think instead here in Oregon, we campaign on, 
uh, you know, if you're a Democrat, uh, abortion, the Republicans are going to restrict your right to abortion. It's like, well, nobody's camp, nobody's trying to say that. That's not even our call to make, but right. you run ads on it. Well, let me, this is, I, I've tried to do that a couple of times and think, I, the kind of the line that I have used that is probably not very effective, but at least it's, a, it's an attempt. It's compound interest, which is a concept that I think people generally understand is like, we are running at a deficit. We are expending X amount of dollars. We are in, we have an income of less than X dollars. So if I tell you that I'm going to pay your pension 20 years from now, you're a new hire. I, 20 years from now, I'm going to say, I'm going to pay you a dollar 20 years from now. What do I need to have in the bank? 10 cents. I take my dime. I put it in the bank, compound interest over 20 years, and I pay you a dollar. What happens if I need to pay that next week? I need a dollar. I need 10x that amount. And I'm just making these numbers up, but right. I, I need a dollar now. And so if we manage our pension fund well, then we can say, and this is getting a bit beyond hell <laughs> in your article, but if we manage your pensions well, we only need 10 cents to pay a dollar 20 years from now. But if we screw it up and we diminish that, those assets down to nothing, now I need a, ta- a dollar from the taxpayers where before I needed 10 cents in order to pay the pension that I need to pay next week. Yeah, I, I think that's a good analogy. And one of the other ways to look at it is we're supposed to put away 10 cents and we're putting away five. Yes. And yep. we've been putting away five for 60 Decades. years. Yep. And all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, oh my God, we're really screwed because so, we yep. just don't have enough in the piggy bank. Same thing with social security, yep. right? We're not putting enough away. The difference the is diff- the federal government can print money can, Oregon cannot. So that brings us around to the new stimulus package. And Nancy Pelosi is holding it up because she says, I want to protect uh, teachers and firemen and police. And, and if you read between the lines and you dig into it a little bit, she's really proposing a massive bailout for these kinds of pension plans. And, you know, I thought about it and my initial reaction was highly partisan. That's ridiculous. You can't do that. And then I thought, you know, the prudent thing to do is pay it maybe off. you can pay it maybe you can do that but the the second part of this is you have to revert to a defined contribution plan meaning a 401k type plan why because you can't put a nickel in and promise a dime you mm-hmm. have to put the dime in or just pass a law that you have to fully fund your pension system mm-hmm. and this is what happened with the postal service people will say that it hasn't been uh it, it was profitable up until like 2006 or something when the when that bill was passed that then all of a sudden it's unprofitable. It was unprofitable before that. It's just they were not fully funding their pensions. And what that that 2006 bill did was said, you, the Postal Service, are required by law to fully fund your pension system. And all of a sudden they started losing money because they had to put money away. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I think to your to your point, we need to pay our obligations. We need to pay our debts. And well, in the degree that you'd have to do this is many, many, many billions of dollars every year. And this, uh, the cat tax that we passed last time, the corporate activity tax, I think was a billion a year. Mm-hmm. That's a drop f- in the bucket. A, a drop in the bucket. You need, you need a cat tax every year. You need to pass a new cat tax 
every year. Well, and I think uh, this would be the problem with, because I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Nancy Pelosi is holding any stimulus until after the election, because when Joe Biden is there and the Democrats have the Senate, they can do whatever they want. And this is going to be one of the things that they do. The problem with this is if I have a thousand dollars in disposable income every month, but I put $1,500 a month on my credit card, by the end of the year, I've run up $6,000 in debt. And, and I'm paying that off. I'm paying the interest off. And if I don't change my habits, that's going to grow and grow and grow. It, it's wonderful if I, you know, hit the lottery and I get the chance to pay off my credit cards and be good to go. But if I still continue to do that and I still continue right. to run up that debt, I haven't actually solved the problem. I've just delayed solving the problem and right. now put the federal government on a hook for all of but, that money. But they're not interested in solving the problem. I know we're out of time. No, they're they're not, not interested in solving the problem because what you get is more dependence on the government and more dependence on the government means you're going to continue voting Democrat. And I think that's really the thing here is if they can bail out the PERS, if you can give public employee, uh, public employees this generous package and not have to pay taxes for it, those people are going to, I mean, the, if right. they vote Republican, who's going to try to reform the system and, and yeah. maybe not hire as many public employees? Well, to bring it all back, 350,000 people are currently either employed or uh, retired. 350,000 people times the people that are associated with them where they derive an economic benefit. Because if my mom has PERS, she's not a financial liability to me. She's actually a financial asset, right? Um, that's a million people. And so if you talk about PERS and you talk about touching PERS and they can communicate that Alan wants to cut PERS, which I never said that I want to do. I want to solve the fundamental problem. I want to make it solvent. You're a dead man, a dead person in a, in a statewide election. This is Ali and Pacero with Nick and James. The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero. I'm here with Nick and James. Jimmy Pacero is in the bunkers somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we'll welcome him back next week. I think he's he's saving up energy to come back and talk about the election as we get closer into it. But one of the things I want to talk about is um, Portland has become sort of a, a national uh, call sign, so to speak, that if you mention Portland as a Republican, it's like, oh, you're just trying to make this a partisan issue. Um, Portland is not thought of very highly internationally, nationally right now. Um, I've gotten calls from friends all over the country. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Are you safe? Uh, we live in a suburb that's about 10 miles south of Portland. There is a demonstration going on, um, uh, that's been widely, uh, touted on Facebook and, uh, social media, broadly on social media, uh, to bring the demonstrations of the, you know, the burnings and the statue teardowns and that sort of thing down here to, to Lake Oswego. We have a very contentious, uh, city council race going here that is pretty much do you want to remain independent or do you want to become a borough of Portland, basically? <laughs> and surprisingly enough, it's, it's, looks like it's kind of a coin flip hmm. that's going on here. But 
you guys, do you both live in Portland? Yes. Yeah. So what, what are you seeing? How do well, you? So I, the Justice Center is in my district. Oh. And I live probably about half a mile from there. And so depending on which news source you listen to, you are going yeah. to get an equally bad representation of what's happening <laughs> right. in Portland. Um, so if you listen, if you listen to the, to the left wing media, you're going to say, Oh, it's all peaceful. There's, there's nothing going on here. They're just, you know, ex- executing their, their first, first amendment, amendment rights. rights. Right. Um, it's all about black lives. And that's not true. I mean, they're, they're tearing stuff apart. The, it, they really are. And then, but then if you listen to the right wing news, what they say is uh, the whole city's burning to the ground, which is also not true. Like I say, I live a half a mile from there. So what's happening is it is localized, but it also is not peaceful. And they are rioting. I mean, there were Molotov cocktails thrown at police. It is not a peaceful protest, and it is not about black lives. Maybe it started out as black lives, but now it's about privileged white people wanting to cause problems, and they're bored from COVID, so they're going to go throw things at police. They are. Yeah. Well, so in a, it, we've got a recurring theme here on this uh, on this episode this morning of this, all of the stuff that we've watched on Netflix. I, <laughs> yeah. uh, just last week, uh, we put on the Trial of the Chicago Seven, the new Aaron Sorkin movie. That's it should be up for like best picture and stuff. The, this is one of those at the start of the year everybody's looking forward to this movie, and it's Aaron Sorkin. It's really yeah. good. But they uh, obviously the Trial of the Chicago Seven was about the riots that occurred in 1968 in Richard Daly, Chicago. And all of the stuff that was going on there vis-a-vis the, you know, the police brutality and the use of tear gas, whatever. And you start the movie, you get 10, 15, 20 minutes in and you're like, Oh my God, I see this every day. Oh, like this hmm. is 50 years. Is Aaron going to, Aaron Sorkin going to make a movie about Portland in 50 years? And it's, it, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And we live in this time of this massive amounts of civil unrest. And I, I kind of to your point, Portland is is viewed as this, you know, hyper-partisan issue and people from out of state call you and ask you if you're okay. And it's just like, I don't know what to tell them. Like, I don't know how to, I mean, it's like, yes, of course we are. But at the same time, like, there's a lot going on in the city that is not being addressed and is not being fixed. See, and if the you, thing, if, if you live a block or you have own a business a block from the Justice Center, you are, you have your windows busted in. You had to put up plywood. You have been closed for six months and not because of COVID. I mean, things are starting to reopen from COVID. This is right. about the riots and the civil unrest that's taking place right outside your door. You walk through those areas, Pioneer Square. It's graffiti. It's busted windows still, you know, months later, but it is fairly localized. If you go six blocks in a different direction and it's everything's normal well it never happened if you jump up to lombard street where my son's bar is where Mm -hmm. the police union uh right there's a couple different hot spots there's a couple of hot spots and and he's right up there um they close lombard street you know sort of nightly in the summertime uh not for a celebration but for these protests where they were attempting to burn the building down um you know, it, it, <laughs> I heard, I heard on the, sorry, I gotta yeah. jump in here. I heard on the left, the, the left wing media that it was only a small fire that they set inside the <laughs> right. building. They no, threw a, they threw a road flare and it was about the that, size of a campfire. We did that on, on our radio program when we had a, a, a guy on that was supporting the left point of view. And I said, look, they tried to burn this building down. He said, oh, it's just a small fire. <laughs> and it's like, so if you're unsuccessful burning, committing arson. You're a bad arsonist. <laughs> right. If you're a bad arsonist, 
That's okay. <laughs> but right? it's, it's not actually violent if you set a small fire <laughs> inside peaceful, a building. Yeah. This is just peaceful. lunacy. But so, uh, 68 Detroit riots. My, my wife lived in Detroit. She remembers it very well. I remember it, you know, just through the news. It's very different. I mean, in 1968, the people in Detroit, grassroots, rioted about the injustice of of the political system at that time uh, and in a very uh, <laughs> they burned detroit in a very genuine way right this wasn't mm-hmm. this wasn't a bunch of people coordinating on facebook like the, the protest that's going to be here in lake oswego it's all been published on facebook it's been coordinated on facebook you know they have all this social media it was a very organic outcry of look you're not listening to me right and you need to listen to us and i think this this is what's not talked about but this is the real tragedy of what's going on in portland right now is the 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 riots started with the murder of george floyd in minnesota and that was the catalyst for so many black people all across the country to to stand up and say this is what we've been saying all along we are not treated fairly or equitably by our police they are not here to protect and serve us they are here to harm us and we have to talk to our children about that like how to deal with the police and now what's happening in portland it started there were these beautiful shots of 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 people lying down on the burnside bridge as if they right. were dead bot and it's it creates this gorgeous image of the real representation of how people feel and now it's woke white people it has nothing to woke do with people black lives bored. matter it has nothing to do with you know police brutality it has nothing to do with any of the real problems that are trying to be addressed and that means they're going to continue to not be addressed yep yeah uh we've got one more segment i believe is that right i think so Mr. Producer, I wasn't counting. <laughs> I wasn't Fall counting either. Switch over there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, this is Ali and Pissero, joined by Nick and James. Welcome back to Ali and Pissero, our final segment with Nick and James. I wanted to talk about COVID, and when we were uh, on the break, I, I mentioned it, and James said, "Is that still a thing?" And and that was. <laughs> That's exactly my point, right? It's like, is that still a thing? I, I mean, I know the, the, the Democrats in particular, um, have been hammering on the, the top line number, the 220,000 dead. Yep. And obviously it has killed people. It is a terrible disease and, uh, the whole country has been affected by it. Um, we now know a lot more than we knew when it started. We've also gotten a lot better at treating it. The, no. the death rate has yeah. gone way down. So, so I, I, I actually think this, is that still a thing started when Donald Trump got COVID? And not started, but reached a crescendo when Donald Trump got COVID. Cause here's a guy, 74 years mm-hmm. old, overweight, overweight, great health, right? Seems, yeah, I mean, you know, and he is the epicenter other than he doesn't seem to have, he doesn't drink or he doesn't smoke, but, and, but he is the epicenter of who you think is at risk. And he gets sick, goes to the hospital, they give him a cocktail. Two days later, he's back on the campaign trail. And he, he, from a physical vigor standpoint, 
seems pretty good. In fact, that was one of the things I noticed in the debates when Donald Trump walked out and Joe Biden walked out. Biden walked out like the guy that had COVID mm-hmm. and Trump walked out like the guy that didn't. Yeah. Right. And, uh, the, the moms, I've got a bunch of grandkids now and they're not in school. Their mom is going crazy. Their dad is going crazy because he has to stay home and, and, and take care of the kids. They're shuffling the kids around. We've got half of a daycare center up here. <laughs> uh, and people are, are, are that I feel like they're kind of saying, Hey, well, I'm kind of over this. What's the, what's the reaction? Well, and I feel like that's exactly right. I feel like when this started, the, the lockdowns were an idea to say, Hey, we need a couple of weeks. We're, ju- we're trying to buy some time. <laughs> we're going to figure weeks. something out. We don't know a whole lot about the virus. All we know is we think it's to your point from right. episodes ago. We think it's Ebola times 10. Yeah. And that if we don't do this, half the country's going to die. We're right. going to overwhelm the hospitals. This is going to be Stephen King, the stand or exactly, something like that. And exactly. it's just like, Oh my God. And now we've gotten to this point where, okay, we wear masks. Most of us, yeah. you, you get some wing nuts who are, you know, think it's, infringement of freedom i don't know whatever we there's germex everywhere all these distilleries have yeah. switched from making tequila to making tequila scented <laughs> germex so it's like all right like yeah, yeah nice right. yeah but i we've we've gotten to a point where it is manageable mm-hmm. is it still a problem yes massively is it still killing americans yes and that's supremely unfortunate of all the things the president's first job is the safety of americans and we need to be able, able to be on top of that but we also are at a point where we can start to do movie theaters, bowling alleys. Why is right. this not going? In, in person education, there's a way to do that. Why are we not really starting to make a push for this? And it's, and I feel like it's unfortunate because we're not doing it now. The numbers are starting to spike. People are going to start to kind of like go back into their, their hermit crab shells. The, the cases are spiking. Yeah. The deaths are the not. Deaths, right. yeah, the exactly. deaths the are not spiking. Yeah. Well, and uh, you made the point weeks ago on the show, James, where, uh, the cases are spiking, but it's, but because we're doing contact tracing and we're testing people that have been in contact with people who have known to have it, it's like saying drunk driving is increasing because you're outside the bar testing everybody that comes out <laughs> of the bar. Yeah. Right. And no, that you cannot use cases unless you're doing a broad statistically relevant sampling, random sampling of people across a broad spectrum. And unfortunately, we had this in Oregon. We were testing 10,000 people. They stopped because they didn't have enough underrepresented minorities. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, one, okay, I, I, I get that. We don't have that many no. underrepresented minorities in Oregon. And two, go get them. Yeah. If you have to pay people to take this test, you should pay people. It's too important not to know. Exactly. Not well, having information is not an option at this point in time. If well, there's whatever the cost, you need to go do it because the cost to the economy, the cost to oh. people's livelihoods, domestic abuse, alcohol abuse, I, all kinds of these things are skyrocketing right now because of all, because of the lack of ability to actually get things moving well call me a skeptic but i don't see any benefit to this from our democratic leadership here in oregon if they were to do a comprehensive random sampling and i mean what are they going to find out either we're getting close to herd immunity or we're not if we're getting close to herd immunity 
then they have no excuse but to start opening things back up. And if they do that before the election, now other states are going to start doing it and you hand the election potentially to Trump. So the, right. like the risk of this being almost over, I think is too high for Democrats to want to do anything. Well, and that's where I have to wrap the aluminum foil around my head when I start thinking about this, because the only reason you wouldn't do this testing is you don't want to know the answer. Yeah. Right. You don't. The Democrats aren't calling for it. Like you don't have an electorate. I, the Democrats that I see online, the left wing um, people on Reddit, for the most part, they're all perfectly happy to sit inside. They're perfectly happy not to go out to eat. And, you know, the, the Democratic leadership is perfectly happy to just write them a check and keep them reliant on the government and keep them voting Democrat. Yeah, it, it it's beyond my imagination that we haven't done it. And and I'll tar and feather every governor in every state because I don't know of a single state that's done this. And all it would have taken is one state or a consortium. If you got, if you were the governor of Washington and you got Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, you know, to go together on this and do statistically relevant sampling testing and do it on a consistent basis, do it once a month. You would see how many people have it and how many people have had it. You'd be able to tell if somebody gets reinfected. Is there immunity? How long does that immunity last? Oh, we should know all this information. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. fact that we don't know it is a complete abdication of responsibility at every level of government. There's, uh, you know, th- this is 2020. We're all Nate Silver people. We all love numbers. We all love data. And that's that there's so much of this it continues to rely on conjecture and assumptions and non-representative samples of different data. And now you, you turn on CNN and every single day they have number of total dead, right? number of worldwide yeah. cases, number of Americans dead. And you allow this fear to continue to seep into just the American psyche at large when in reality it it does not have a place to be there. We've everybody's taken the positive. Everybody's self-interested. The Democrats don't want to do it because if they're wrong, it might hand it to Trump. The Republicans don't want to do it because if they're wrong, they might have to shut things down again. The media doesn't want to do it because, you know, fear sells as long as they can keep those big numbers up there. Nobody wants to do it because none of it, like there, there is no interest, self-interest in doing that. And so we need non-self-interested politicians to go out and make those hard choices. But... Spoken yeah. as a non-self-interested <laughs> politician. <Ball> for Oregon. <laughs> That's the end of our show for this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be posting the podcast in uh, later today. Later tomorrow. today. Later today. Vote James Ball, Woo-hoo. House District 36. Listen Thank to you. Rational Republican. Listen to La- Rational Republican. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And we'll be back next week. This is Ali and Pissero. Thanks for listening. This has been Allie and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.